summer of 1966 saw Oroville High School player Gary Nolan complete one of the greatest four-year runs for a pitcher in high school and American Legion baseball. He played one year of JV baseball and then led the varsity team to three straight league championships, earning all-league honors in each of his three varsity seasons. In his senior year, according to the Sacramento Bee, Nolan threw two no-hitters while striking out a whopping 189 batters and walking just six in compiling a 9-2 record for his high school. That summer, while pitching for post-65 American Legion against the Marysville team, Gary struck out 25 batters in going a full 12 innings. Yankee great Joe Gordon scouted Nolan, and he announced, that kid is ready to pitch in the majors right now. The Cincinnati Reds agreed, and in the 1966 amateur draft, selected Nolan in the first round, 13th overall. What league did Oroville High play in, uh, Gary? They played in the Sierra Foothill League. Okay, got it. Sierra Foothill League. Yeah, got it, okay. And then, do you have any idea what your record was, cumulative for uh, school? You know, I won about 40-some games. I know I won 41 or 42 games in high school. Okay. Gary, any no-hitters during that time? reputation I mean I, as a kid growing up I'd heard the name and, and you were a young fireballer and then of course you you made the majors in a real short jump it was just a fantastic uh, you know I mean uh, you had a legendary career there's no doubt about it well you mm -hmm. know what I guy I'll, I'll always remember this uh, well, I'll tell you a real quick story you remember Bobby Dore oh yeah well Bobby Dore and Joe Gordon were scouting me up here one time and I pitched a game and seven inning game and I struck out uh, Yeah. So after the game, Gordon says, we're all standing there talking. This was before, you know, the, the draft. They, the draft came in effect, I think, in 65. So this would have been probably 64. But anyway, <laughs> they were talking to me, and they were very friendly. So then a couple of weeks went by, and they came back to another game that I'd pitched, and they said, you know, we were thinking about signing the two guys that hit the ball that night, you know. Like I said, I got 19 out of 21, and he said, we almost signed the two guys who flew out. But, you know, what the hell? Well, you know, I did put that note in here that somebody from Sacramento, uh, Harry Dunlop, said that Joe Gordon came back and said, that kid's ready to pitch in the majors right now. You know, Harry was, Harry always was, was a good guy to me. He always, always uh, you know, friendly and, uh, mm -hmm. you, know, you know, give me a lot of confidence. But uh, Joe Gordon was a special guy, too, I tell you. He had commented a couple of times to not to me personally, but he, he had told you know one of the guys that uh, you know my father, and he told the, the manager that I played for that you know as, as long as nothing happens, uh, he'll pitch in the big leagues. There's no question about it. You know stuff like that stays with you. You know makes sure. you feel good and sure. gives you confidence. He one time told me he says you know he said I I was a little bit worried. This was after I got to the big leagues. So I was a little bit worried because around Orville, he said the talent is so. There's a lot of parody. Well, what happened was this Eddie Bachman with the Phillies. Oh, yeah. Used to have these uh, games over on the coast. So they started inviting me over there to pitch in, the, on the, in San Mateo and Santa Clara and over on San Francisco. I pitched a candlestick one time. So anyway, some of those scouts were seeing me, and he told me, he said, that's the very best. 
was I didn't really realize what he meant until I started till I got to the big leagues and started pitching. One year later on Saturday, April 15, 1967, Nolan made his major league debut pitching for a hometown crowd at Crossley Field. He struck out eight over seven innings and in winning his first game seven to three over the Houston Astros. Then on June 7th, he faced the San Francisco Giants and his boyhood idol, Willie Mays, providing a fairy tale memory to his career. Nolan finished his rookie season 14 and eight with a 2.5 earned run average and came in third for rookie of the year voting. You know, a game one time that stood out my, my, my boyhood when I was a kid growing up in Oroville, Willie Mays was my hero. And I had a game in 67, my rookie year, at Crosby Field. And uh, when I struck, I struck him out four times in one game. Yeah. And uh, I think, when I think about it, and I've talked to Willie since, you know, I mean, that was one of the biggest thrills. Even though I had a lot of, of games that I was proud of, uh, that was one of my biggest thrills, simply because we were he was just a big hero of mine. Gary, I can't imagine what that must have felt like to know what a great hitter it is, and here you are just dominating him. Where you, you were just blowing this, your fastball past him, apparently, right? Well, what happened was it was uh, it was in Cincinnati, Crosby Field. It was in June. It was uh, one of those 90, 95 degree nights, right. and the humidity was ninety two. And uh, actually, what happened was it was in two different two different innings. I loaded the bases with nobody out, and uh, Mays, McCovey, and Hart. They were the three hitters, and two different innings in that game, I struck the I struck the three of them out in succession. Oh man! With the bases loaded. <laughs> well, anyway, I, my my best memory of that game, other than the fact of the game itself, was the next day when I was running wind sprints in the outfield and Crosby Field. And I don't know if you're not probably familiar with Crosby Field, but not that much now. Yeah, there was a certain area in left field where you had to come out, and the players came out on the mm -hmm. field. And I happened to be in, you know, in left field, and Mays came out, and he was only maybe a 50 or 100 feet from me, and he whistled, and I looked over, and he, he waved me over. Oh. And yeah, so I kind of jogged over to him, and, you know, and he said, hey, Gary, he said, uh, well, I actually didn't say Gary, he said Rook, you know, because when you're, when you're a rookie, you're a rookie to everybody. You right, know? sure. He said, Rook, he said, uh, he said, I'll tell you what, I've never been struck out four times in one game in a big league. He said, but I'll tell you what, you overpowered me. He said, you overmatched me and made me feel good, you know. But that was the kind of guy Mays was, though. He was he yeah. was a real complimentary kind of guy anyway. He had talked to me before at Candlestick and the runway back down there, the old runway. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a couple of games that I pitched, and I pitched pretty well against the Giants. And he was always very complimentary to me, him and McCovey both. So, but And they were class guys, so, I mean, they were just – they had more class than you know than you can imagine it. So that that was kind of their nature. But yeah, Mays he was really good to me. And when he said that, it kind of naturally makes you feel good. I tell you the truth, I told my my wife one night when I was going to pitch against Mays. She knew how I felt about him. I said, you know what, I almost did. She said I probably should have done it. The first game I pitched, I was thinking, man, here come Mays in the box, right? <laughs> I almost thought about calling timeout and walking the home plate and shaking his hand. <laughs> I swear to God, I, I thought, well, it really ran through my mind, and I thought, well, I don't want to embarrass my teammates and my team, so I better not do that. It was a good thing you didn't, huh? Yeah, it was a good thing I didn't because I wouldn't want to bring any embarrassment to them. I thought, man, I, I said, I just I just thought of Virgil called a timeout walking up there and shaking his head. I'll be darned. <laughs> 
1972, Nolan overcame injuries and had the best start to his career, posting 13 victories before the 1972 All-Star Game, selected to pitch for the National League. Reds manager Sparky Anderson withdrew Nolan from the team due to mild soreness in his arm without informing his star pitcher. Hey, listen, I, I noted here that, that you were voted to the 1972 All-Star Game uh -huh. But you, but I noticed that you you weren't on the uh, the team roster for that. So did well, I was selected to start the All Star game. Right. And, uh, Danny Murtaugh, uh, Danny Murtaugh was the uh, National League manager, if my memory serves me. And uh, I had an injury; my shoulder was bothering me. Uh -huh. And uh, I opted out. And so I, I, you know, we sit down. I mean, the Reds did contact. You know, we we talked, and I said, I think I I'd be better off having the time off and rest my rest my shoulder than try to pitch. But you didn't go to the game and get introduced? I'm sorry? You didn't, like, attend the game and get introduced? Well, that wasn't my intention. My intention was to go like they did Wayne Simpson and Jim Merritt in 1972 to 1970 when they were injured. Both of them from the Reds team, they went to the Hall of Fame, got, I mean, to the All-Star game and got all the, uh, you know, the little induced the little, little things. Yeah. That's a I shame. I actually went if they would have proved it, but they didn't approve it. Oh, that's a darn shame. And that's, uh, you know, what I'm telling you is the truth. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was the strangest thing because my relationship for 20-some years with Cincinnati was, even when they elected me to the Hall of Fame, when I, I wouldn't go back. I, you know, that was in 83 when I was elected to yeah. the Hall of Fame, but I wouldn't go back to accept the award. It's just because I had such a poor relationship with Dick Wagner and uh, Housem that at that time that, I just didn't want to go. I yeah. didn't feel comfortable. And I said, I you know since I told them both I didn't like them, I didn't have any respect for them, so why <laughs> I don't want to go back. <laughs> it was a question that wasn't so much off the field of the dislike. It was what they were, what, what was happening to me on the field. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they were good guys with their families and all that. I know they were. But from a business perspective, we didn't see eye to eye, and, and that was enough for me. I read where later on you happened to be in Cincinnati, went to the to visit the Hall of Fame there on on the premises, and then you got to meet the guy who ran the museum, and then all of a sudden it sort of brought you back into the family. Is that correct? Well, that's kind of how it happened. Uh, my granddaughter, who lives in Kentucky, and my daughter and son-in-law, we 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 go visit them annually, and one day she was uh, oh, maybe nine, eight, nine years old, and this was a number of years ago, six, seven years ago. And she said, Dad, Grandpa, I want to go to the see where you play ball. And I said, well, I don't even think the park's there. And But I said, no problem. It's only a 75-mile drive. So we, we drove down there, and sure enough, you know, the, the new ballpark was there, and, the, you know, the old one had been dismantled and taken down. And we went up and knocked on the Hall of Fame door, and uh, Mr. Rhodes, I think his last name was Rhodes, wasn't it? The guy that ran it. Yeah, but anyway, yeah I don't know. He was standing at the door, and he recognized me, and he opened the door, and he said, we're closed, but we're open for you. And I said, well, he goes, how you doing, Gary? And uh, that was kind of how it started. Yeah. I think Rhodes was asking, and he sat down, and we had a long talk, and my my granddaughter and my wife and everybody, we, we walked around. And, they, you know, that's kind of how it happened. But for a lot of years, yeah, I, I never really attended anything with the Reds. How did that make you feel when he said, "Well, it's open for you," and then you got to go in and? Well, no, it made me. It made me feel great. Yeah, you know? it made me feel great. And I told him. As a matter of fact, I told him. I, I, you know, I, I think his name is Greg Rhodes. 
relationship in the past, but he said, Gary, that's in the past. And I'll tell you what, that, that, that following, oh, a few months later, I went for the Hall of Fame week. They invited me to the Hall of Fame week with the new owners, the Castellinis. And, man, it, was, it kind of changed my whole, mm-hmm. you know, and I did. I felt bad that uh, I had felt the way I did for so many years. They've invited me to many, many functions, and they invited me to spring training this year. And I thought that was pretty nice, so. The biggest disappointment, I think, Rick, for me, uh, I mean, obviously to be in the big leagues and be able to pitch up there at that level for as long as I did, even though it was just 10 years, you know, the biggest disappointment was to have your career ended, you know, when you're 29 years old and should be in your prime and to be, you know, have a rotator cuff problem that's yeah. ends your career. I mean, it's kind of hard to accept. Yeah. And you had injuries early on. Well, I, the, the only actually the only injury I really had and was was that I had you know it's a funny thing I, I never really had a great curveball and in spring training of '67 I kept working with Mel Harder who was a Hall of Fame uh, pitcher in his own right with the Cleveland mm-hmm. and uh, then I come up with a pretty good breaking ball and I had no really breaking ball in high school uh, other than just a little wrinkle they call them you know yeah and anyway he worked with me and. We would throw 15 or 16, but no more. He put me on a limit. He'd say, Gary, I only want you to, you know, spin a few here and spin a few there. And then we kind of worked up to it. The next thing you know about it, second or third month of the season, got into a couple months into, like, May of 67, and my my curveball got better and better and better. Obviously, it would have had to, but the year I had, you know, you can't just pitch 32 starts with a fastball, but it got better and better. And uh, as an end result, that spring when I went spring training in 68, I got off and, that, you know, same thing. And next thing you know, my elbows started getting tender. So I had two years back-to-back uh, where I had some elbow problems. But never after I got over the, I think it was about six weeks and six or seven weeks in 68 and a couple of, in about the same stretch of period, a stretch of time in 69. But once I got over that two little bouts with elbow trouble, I never, ever had elbow trouble again, which was unbelievable. Yeah, but then you had the shoulder problem in the early 70s. Shoulder, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it went from the elbow to the shoulder. Yeah, and then you were worked on by Job, is that right? Yeah, he operated on me uh, twice, yeah. But at the time, he was the guy that ended up, you know, coining the phrase Tommy John surgery, or as a result of his work on Tommy John. Yeah. But at the time, I mean, he wasn't known for that, right? No, he wasn't known for it. He wasn't known for it at the time. Yeah. No, no matter of fact, uh, I think if I remember right in the biography, no, no, it didn't say that. Oh, it, it didn't? No, it said he was the one that was oh, he famous. Was the one, okay. Well, yeah. Because I didn't have Tommy. No, no, I know, I understand that. Yeah, it was I on your rotator shoulder. Cuff, yeah, rotator cuff. Right. But yeah, he, he was. You know, a matter of fact, uh, when, uh, when when I went in for the authorgram, and uh, I believe it was the Reds, <laughs> it's a kind of a strange deal back then in that time frame. Clubs didn't like to share injury information with other clubs. Hmm. I mean, they didn't want to know that Rick Cabral had, had a problem because in case there was a potential deal. Oh, yeah. You know, so in other words, they tried to keep everything under wraps. In 1973, you know, after the 72 season, I still couldn't, I mean, I was having trouble in spring training. So I actually asked them, I went in and talked to Housem and Wagner, and I told them, I said, you know, I'd like to go out to the West Coast and see uh, Joe. And they, they, they turned me down. They said, no, that they would, that they had the orthopedic guy in uh, Cincinnati, and they would stay with him. Well, what ended up happening is after I missed the whole 73 season, the next 
year in the spring, I told him, said, I'm going to L.A. and I'm going to see Joe, whether you like it or not. So at that point, they, they okayed it, and then they flew me out there. Actually, what happened was that Joe was there at Vera Beach. The Dodgers came to Tampa in 74, and he looked at my shoulder, and he said, well, you know, you got some problems here, but he said, I'm not going to really know until. And then they flew me out to the West Coast, and that's when he said, you know, give me an orthogram, and I said, boy, you got a problem. And it wasn't and, a month later, maybe even less than that, that he, he operated on me. And you, and you said, I know I got a problem, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I said, yeah, well, it, you know, that's exactly true. Uh, funny thing about the whole deal was, uh, he says to me, uh, I, can't com- I can't believe that, I, I'll never forget this, uh, Job said to me, he said, I can't believe that uh, you haven't seen me sooner, or someone. I said, well... It's not that I haven't been trying. I, yeah. I, I told Cincinnati, and which I had. I had told yeah. both Hausman and Wagner. I said, I need to see. See, at the time, we didn't have an orthopedic surgeon with the Reds. We had a Dr. Ballou, who was the main team physician. He was a stomach surgeon. And the only other guy that was seeing me was his associate, a guy named Wally Timmerman, and they were both great people. And if I had ulcers or something, they're the first guys I'd go to. <laughs> but they weren't orthopedic guys, and I told them, I had talked to Jim Palmer, and I had talked to a couple other guys that had shoulder problems, you know, and they told me, you, you know, you, you, you can't fool around with stuff like that. you got to go to a yeah. guys that, orthopedic people that, that, that deal with this. But did you feel that they were somewhat, res- well, you're telling me basically they were resistant or reluctant to send you to a specialist? They were. Yeah. They were. They were very, they were very reluctant and very resistant. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's no question yeah. about that. that and boy... Things are so different today, aren't they? Well, you know, that's the thing that's the most aggravating. You know, uh, when I look back at my career, and not just mine, I'm not I'm not selfish like that. I, I look at Wayne Simpson. You remember that name? Mm, you'd have to ring a bell. I don't know. Well, Don Gullett. Oh, Don Gullett, sure. And, well, he was my roommate for six years. Mm-hmm. He kind of went through the same thing with me. He had a rotator cuff problem. Nobody wants to believe you're hurt. Yeah. Hey, I, you know, I, you tell them you got pain, and you, you know, they say, well, you're still throwing pretty good. But, well, I got pain. Something's not right. I mean, that one thing a pitcher knows, and, and I'm just talking about pitchers, is he knows when something's not right. Exactly. Uh, an ache here and there you're going to have. Your, your biceps are going to ache. You're going to have fatigue. and your bi- You're going to have a little tenderness around certain areas. You, and you know that. But there are some pain and some discomfort that you know is not normal. And when you, when you go to somebody and you tell them, hey, I've got a problem, and they look at you like you're nuts, and then they try to tell you you've got to throw through pain, and that's what they did in that era. Mm-hmm. You've got to pitch with pain. You've got to be able to. And they injured and, and hurt a lot of career, a lot of people's career, just by that mentality. Right. You know, because you were a key member of that big red machine, and, uh, you know, nobody can take the, the two World Series victories away from you, right? Oh, no. The, you know, the thing about it is, is the guys from the guys' perspective, you know, I, I, I attended different uh, functions away from Cincinnati. I mean, I went to, you know, card shows and, re- and red reunions and other areas, you know, like, uh, you know, I've been to different parts, but not actually to Cincinnati specifically, something that they, mm-hmm. that uh, March shot or the uh, yeah. regime that I was with, something that they sponsored or was, was doing, I, I just didn't attend. But I, I had been with some of my teammates at other functions in other cities, you know, sure. and different things like that. So that was always good to see them and everything. And, you know, it's a, you know like I say, I, I hate to kind of say it like this, but for a number of years I was a little bit bitter about the way I 
thought I was treated. I thought I was treated unfairly. But, you know, when you're 18, 19 years old, you know, 20 years old, whatever, you just want to compete, you want to play, you don't always think of the best interest, your, your best interest. And, you know, like now, I go to these games and these guys get 50, 60 pitches and people start watching the pitch counts. And if they get hangnails, they start there, whatever it is, you know, you know, they, they it, it's, it's, it's a big concern. But I realize there's a lot of money involved. But it just shows you that the difference between when we played back then and, and the guys before me even and now, you had to play through that stuff. And any player that played in this And the number of times that great players came in to negotiate their one-year contract, and the owner said, "We're going to dock you five thousand dollars. You didn't, you didn't quite hit three thirty this year. You hit three twenty-five." Yeah, you know, I know it. I can recall one time talking to Bob Gibson, a guy that I admired, and I pitched against him many times. I'll tell you what, this guy was something. He was, and I remember one time he he won twenty games. I don't remember the actual numbers, but he won twenty games. Had a great year. The next year he went 17, and they, they <laughs> wanted to cut his pay. You know. Yeah. I think, my God, that's just unreal. The yeah. Difference of this, you know, 25 or 30 years or whatever it is. But. So Gary, in looking back at this, uh, the, the career you had, what was your top professional memory? Well, you know, I, you know, I always tell people that the, the, the biggest thrill for me, for me personally, was meant just to, to be able to wear that uniform and. Uh, Hey, listen, I have a little uh, personal thing I'm supposed to pass along to you. There was, uh, in the, you know, I think it was 1974, when you were going through that period when you had two years of arm problems, uh, a young fellow from Sacramento named Don Lyle was in the Cincinnati organization. I think it was his first spring training. And he says, you know, Gary Nolan was so nice. He came up to us and, you know, gave us his time and, you know, talked to us about what it took to be a big leaguer. And he said... He just remembered that that meant so much to him that you spent the time and, and, you know, here you were an established guy, a veteran on the team, but yet you were you were spending time with these kids who were just coming up through the organization. And Donnie's been a pro scout now for over 20 years. Oh, wow. So he said to say hello and to tell you that he really appreciated that. Well, thank you for telling me that. That makes me feel good. So, you know. We, we know in, t- in talking to you, it, it sounds like a number of little things have stayed with you over the years. I mean, that comment from Mays and... Oh, yeah. Joe Gordon, so, you know, really quite a great career and, and a lot of good memories, it sounds like. Yeah, I had. I, I really, when I look back, you know, like I say, I, I, I feel bad about the injury. I wish I could have just gotten old and not been able to get anybody out as opposed to having to leave the game with an injury. That aside, I, I don't think I, I would change a thing. You know, I yeah. had a great, great, great time with great people. You know, the teammates, I got along extremely well with all my teammates over the years, and I had some Hall of Famers, you know, oh. at Rose and Bench, and John and I roomed together for a couple of years. You know, I roomed with Gullet. You know, Pete and I were close. We only lived a couple of blocks apart in Cincinnati, and we were spent a lot of time together. And then when I when I reflect back on all that, it's just like, you know, it's unbelievable. A kid from Orville, you know, with a dream. And yes. one of the biggest thrills of my career was just being able to sit in the dugout for over ten years and watch this guy play every night. I'll bet. I mean, it was just unbelievable. I never seen anybody that was so competitive. 
<laughs> Gary, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, my pleasure. Rick. I look forward to meeting you. My pleasure. Look forward to meeting you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Gary Nolan pitched 10 seasons in the major leagues, compiling a 110-70 and one-loss record with a 3.05 ERA. Nolan pitched in four World Series for the Big Red Machine, including World Championships in 1975 and 76.